On today's show, we have the Pat's Diversity and Inclusivity Committee back for part two of our talk. Stick around. Let's be better athletic trainers. On last month's episode, we discussed topics surrounding diversity and how we can be better in our athletic training rooms. Today, we are again joined by the Diversity and Inclusivity Committee to discuss the needs of our LGBTQ plus athletes and how we can make sure that we maintain a supportive and comfortable environment for all of our athletes and patients. Also on the show today, we are joined by Em, who is an athletic trainer at Lake Erie College. Uh, she, um, em is a graduate of Slippery Rock University, and I believe, Bonnie, you're familiar with Em. I am. Emily is here to uh, sort of as my special guest um, to help us with uh, some of the research that she's done uh, with the transgender community. That's awesome. So um, it's great that you just brought up our transgender community and our transgender uh, patients. Um, let's discuss some of the uh, terminology and definitions with the LT. LGBTQ plus community. It, it's, uh, I, I'm bummed I kind of stumbled on it, but I think it brings up the point of like, who, what community are we talking about when we talk about this? Right. So, you know, the, the terminology gets very difficult to, to, um, to go through. And a lot of people don't understand what those letters mean. Uh, and the letters for a while were getting longer and longer. Um, you know, sometimes we joke and call it alphabet soup. Um, and uh, you'll hear people say the LGBT LMNOP and you know you can kind of joke about it but you're also talking about a group of people so um, you know for a while it kind of expanded to LGBTQQIAA and it was just going on and on and on so what what we've kind of started to work towards mm -hmm. was putting the plus sign on the end to represent all the groups that that we're trying to be inclusive of because that's you know what we're trying to do is to be inclusive so obviously the l is for lesbian g is for gay b is for bisexual t is for transgender q is for queer and questioning and then we've got the plus sign to kind of represent all of the other um, the groups that kind of fall under this uh, umbrella of the, the gay or queer community. Um, the, one of the groups that has, um, that's not really represented on there anymore is the A and that's our allies. Um, you know, uh, we want to recognize our allies as well. So we do have our allies out there as well. You know, sort of an interesting term on there though, representing the, the Q is queer. And I, you know, I want to make sure that I address that particular term. You know, my generation of LGBTQ people, um, queer was a real derogatory term. And, um, it, you know, even to this day, you know, people from my generation get really uncomfortable with the term queer. But the younger generation really embraces the term queer. So... Um, you know, it's one of those words that you have to kind of still be a little bit careful of um, in terms of who you use it with and, and for, but, um, you know, so that's uh, one of the, the Q terms. Yeah, okay. um, if I can chime in a little bit and uh, speak Please. to that. Um, yeah, like Bonnie said, uh, 
the term queer is one that you'll see a lot more often nowadays, um, especially with younger generations. Um, I think part of that is because, uh, like she said, it was, it is a slur and was used as a slur and a derogatory term for a very long time. And that's not to say that it isn't anymore. There are definitely still places where that is used very much as a derogatory term. And that's also not to say that every person in a younger generation or in my generation is, um, is cool with being called that either. So um, it kind of comes back to the thing of like using the terms that other people will use for themselves because then on the flip side, a lot more people do use the term queer nowadays because of sort of how language has changed and how some people have sort of reclaimed that term as a source of you know confidence and pride for them. And a lot of people also find that term to be a little bit more or a little bit less restrictive in terms of, you know, because um, more and more people are, are coming to see gender and sexuality as more fluid or more expansive or more than just, you know, two or three options. And so some people will feel like that is a more affirming term to them because it's, it's a little bit less specific, but it still gets across that their sexuality is, or gender is not heterosexual or cisgender. And so, um, it just kind of goes back to that thing of we add the plus sign now because terms do change so rapidly and so much that, you know, there needs to be a way to show that we include all of those terms and we include all of the people that are part of this community, um, whether or not necessarily their, you know, their one specific word is in that acronym. Yeah. I, okay. I'm curious. And again, you can, at any point throughout the the podcast, if I say something you know incorrect, please please call me out. Um, but can you just can you define queer and and, and how when is it okay to use that term and, and is it more of a term where like you said before is it um, that I, I need to ask and and if you tell me that's it's how you identify then then that's when I would use it. Could you just maybe unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah, um, from my perspective, at least, uh, the way that I define queer and the way that I think that I see a lot of people define it is uh, basically that includes anyone, if, if someone claims that term, in essence, assuming that someone's okay with that term being used for them, um, usually it, it, it can apply to any, basically anyone who is not, not heterosexual or straight um, and, and or is not cisgender, meaning um, is not someone whose gender identity aligns with the sex they were assigned at birth. So basically, you know, out, outside of society's assumption of people are all going to identify with the sex they were assigned at birth and be attracted to only those who are the opposite sex. Um, if you're outside of that, usually that means that if you choose to, you can reclaim the term queer. Um, if that feels right for yourself. I And I would say that you said it pretty perfectly of like, I think that's a term that, um, that's something that you should probably listen to see if someone else uses that for themselves before you use it for them. Or if you're not sure, you can ask if that's an okay term. Um, but I think that would be, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing that's like probably, um, if you're outside of that community at least, but I mean, even if you're inside of it, just, that's more of a like ask or see if that's a term that someone uh, calls himself first. That was that was really helpful. Thank you. Go yeah. ahead, Bonnie. 
and you know we still hear the term used in a derogatory term you know like um and queer i think the word probably originally meant different you know like that's something that's odd and um so you'll hear people say well that's kind of queer and you have to be really careful about using that word um you know like for example we hear uh, uh probably like 10 years ago i was hearing people throw around the word that's so gay kind of meaning that's a weird or you know from that perspective and i'm kind of hearing that you know still now people will say oh that's so gay and you really have to think about when you're using that terminology because it is meant in an offensive way you're saying that something is weird or wrong or odd and so when you say that's so gay or that's queer and you're meaning it to to say that something is odd or weird or wrong and you're saying that in the presence of someone who is from the lgbt community don't expect that to necessarily go well (laughs) you're saying that in a way that's going to offend somebody so you really have to um maybe not use those particular terms um and uh in a derogatory term or manner that would be wise yeah yeah no i mean like uh, hear those words used correct them yeah i i I mean like i want to say late 90s early 2000s yeah that 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 was that's all you heard um and and you know, it's, it's great to see that that's starting to fade away. Um, but like you said, it's not completely gone. So, and I think that's important um, thing to, to kind of note in our athletic training rooms, right? Like that's kind of part of the process here with, with the podcast is like, how can we do better in our athletic training rooms and shutting that down immediately when you hear that, I think would be a, a big step forward for everybody. So um, thank you guys for, for sharing that. So one of the other, um, one of the other topics I wanted to bring up was the topic of pronouns. Em, I see you on our, our Zoom call. Uh, Zoom call. You, you actually prefer the they and them pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I kind of want to address this kind of heads on. What, what is the importance of respecting somebody's pronouns and making sure that we're using the proper pronouns for, for each individual? Yeah. Um, so obviously, we learn in you know elementary school that pronouns are a part of speech that take the place of somebody's name essentially um and obviously we in our society and in our culture we don't usually think twice about making an assumption when we're talking about someone else if we assume that person is male then we will call them he if we assume that person is female then we'll call them she i think that when uh when people hear uh or when we talk about pronouns in the context of gender, the re- really the thing that it comes back to is number one, recognizing that you know those the way that the way that we use language and the way that we use pronouns is really based on an assumption that we are making about other people most of the time, okay. and so sort of the trend towards um, or not trend, but like the the um, the thing that's becoming more prominent now of making your pronouns known um, is a manner is a way of sort of shifting that culture so that it becomes more acceptable to ask someone what pronouns fit you, like what ones make you more comfortable. Because to be on the receiving end of that, um, someone, you know, for someone who who doesn't use the pronouns, like 
or for okay i'll talk about like myself as an example so um so yeah so like you said i prefer singular they and them pronouns um and that's because i identify as a uh, gender non-binary meaning that my gender identity isn't solely male or female it falls kind of somewhere in the middle or you know a combination of the two just kind of depends on the day for me personally but um but more and more people are identifying that way and so for me uh, using using a singular they feels affirming because it lets me know that others are seeing me the way that I see myself, which is not he and not she. Um, and that's, I think, something else to understand about that is that for uh, for a transgender or gender nonconforming or non-binary person um, being misgendered, so meaning um, having someone make those assumptions about you and use the language that you don't identify with, um, it can range from being like mildly annoying to being really hurtful, depending on what that, whether that person is doing it on purpose, essentially. But even if it's not on purpose, and even if it's just, you know, here and there, it's not necessarily that it's, you know, most, I would say that most people, you know, one time it happens, someone makes a mistake and apologizes, not a big deal. The, what happens though is, because our society is so gendered and pronouns come up so much in our language it's it's that thing of like you know it, it's like just just like you know if if you were dropping water like on the back of your hand and you know one drop isn't going to hurt but you let water droplets just drop down on your hand drip 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 like for you know hours on end eventually that's going to like that's going to leave you hurt and so it's kind of the same thing it's it's not really just the one instance, it's oftentimes over and over again, we have to hear people essentially remind us that the world doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves. And so when you use someone's pronouns correctly, on the other hand, that can be a super positive and affirming thing. And that can let that person know, not only like I see you, but you're safe with me. Yep, that, so that was... Thank you so much for sharing that. That 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 was very impactful for me. Yeah, it, it's it's very similar to the microaggressions we talked about last month, mm -hmm. and 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 just how it just it, it just kind of cuts you at the deepest level of your humanity. So yeah, yeah, that's thank you for sharing that. What Emma what Emma has on her uh, the, the name piece there. I wish I could figure out how to do it on Zoom. <laughs> uh, I got to play a little bit more on my Zoom to figure out how to put my pronouns on, but. Um, what we have done here um, at our university is um, we have a statement on our, all of our syllabi uh, indicating to students that they uh, can tell us what their chosen name is to take that into account for our transgender students or our students who are transitioning because college is a time when a lot of students will go through that process. So uh, on our records, they can actually go in and they can change their uh, name to their chosen name. And we have a statement in our syllabi that tells them how to go about doing that and that we will recognize and respect their chosen name. And um, on my syllabus where I have my name and my office hours and whatnot, I put my pronouns, she, her, hers. And uh, I think on my um, email tag, I put she, her, hers. And, you know, I try to, I'm trying to remember to various places where my name appears, just to put she, her, hers um, on the, some of the 
committee meetings that we have, uh, you know, when we go around and we introduce ourselves, we usually go around and I'll say, I'm Bonnie Seipel, I use the pronoun she, her, hers. And what it does is that it immediately removes any of the um, concern for everybody who's present that you're introducing what your pronouns are. And, and so no one has to make a mistake. Um, and you're um, affirming for everyone that this is a safe environment where I'm going to right out of the gate, right up front, respect your, um, your identity, your gender identity and your gender expression. So it's a really good, um, I think it's a really great habit to, to get into. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but even on like your intakes, you know, when you do an intake uh, on your intake forms, when you ask their name and uh, there's a place for uh, gender, there's a good way to ask that. And, and we should just, as a standard, start asking what pronouns do you prefer to, to, for us to address? Like you. Idea. Yeah, yeah hey. so that, that was my question is, you know, obviously in, in the virtual world where we, where we have the, the, the titles and, and the names, like that, that's easy. Um, but in a less formal or, or, or more one-on-one situation, how does that conversation happen, uh, you know, is that, is that a first question? Uh, um, you know, like how, how, how do you have that conversation to, to ask, I guess? It's kind of funny, you know, I, I suppose it could be a little uncomfortable to walk up to someone and say, hi, Adam, what pronouns do you go by? That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's helpful when you just offer it and say, hi, I'm Bonnie, I go by she, her, hers. Yeah. People who are used to it say, oh, well, I'm Adam, I go by whatever pronouns sure. you use. Um, and, you know, obviously that it's just kind of taking off, you know, and so people who know don't even blink, you know, they say, oh, you know, I go by she, her, hers, or they, them, theirs. And, um, and people who don't know will say, well, what do you mean? And so it's an, it's an educational opportunity to explain to people, you know, well, I'm sharing my pronouns with you so that you know, and, and you just explain it to people. And, and it's a, it's a great educational opportunity. And, and um, you know, people you know, most of the time people are very appreciative of the opportunity to, to learn that and to understand that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's jumping off of that. I think it's a, I think it's a matter of integrating it into our, you know, into our social habits, I guess you could say of like, I mean, in professional settings, it is easier because, you know, you can put it in your, in your, uh, in your email signature, um, you can put it on your syllabi, you can put it, you know, on a business card, stuff like that. Um, it is a little bit more difficult in the more like interactive settings. Um, but I think that most people, um, you know, if I think that as people get more used to seeing that and hearing that and, you know, hearing it from educators and professionals and seeing it on healthcare forms and stuff like that, it'll become more natural um, you know, hearing it in introductions on, you know, in groups, stuff like that. I think that it'll become more a normal part of the conversation. And I mean, you know, like Bonnie said, it is an educational opportunity. If not, um, I have found that for myself, obviously, you know, working at the college level as an athletic trainer, I, um, it's something that I have to bring up with my athletes and my coaches sometimes of my own pronouns. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's still a bit of a work in progress of how I figure out how to do that exactly. But I've, 
you know, over time, I kind of learned the ways to, you know, just kind of gently correct people, you know, when I know that they know better, um, or to like, or to say, you know, in initial squad meetings at the beginning of the year, hi, my name's, my name's M. I'm going to be your athletic trainer this year. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. If you don't know what that means, you can ask me about this after the meeting. Uh, I keep like a little, I keep a little comic book on my desk up in our, um, in our rehab facility. Uh, that's, it's called a quick and easy guide, guide to they, them pronouns. It's just a little like, you know, comic thing that talks about pronouns and a lot of different stuff. I keep that on my desk. And so that becomes a conversation piece where like athletes who sometimes aren't like my particular ones will pick it, will pick it up and be like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, that's a thing about pronouns. You can take a look at it. Like, you know, I let people like flip through it while they're, you know, doing whatever they're doing during treatment. Um, so I think just little things, honestly. Yeah, no, I think that that's valuable. Any, any other thoughts on that from anybody? So one thing that I've, um, that I kind of put into my practice, because um, I, I, I would work in a very diverse area, I'd be at a high school or a college or inner city um, country, you know, I was working all over the place. And I stopped using pronouns, I would just address my athlete and patients by their names. Because in some communities that I worked in the whole um, LGBTQ plus community was ostracized. And they, they weren't very accepting. So I guess I kind of what I'm asking is, you know, is that an appropriate alternative, instead of trying to remember, oh, you know, this athlete likes these pronouns, this athlete likes this pronoun, when you're in a rush with everything going on, is it appropriate just to address a person by their name without using pronouns at all? In your so. opinion? Okay. I think yeah. so. And that's what that's actually something that I tell people to do too, while they get used to I mean, for myself, like, again, I, I use myself as an example a lot, but that's just because it's easy. Um, but I, uh, that's something I tell people for myself, too, of like, you know, for example, like, I know that um, I've noticed a couple times, uh, not calling anyone out or anything, but I've noticed a couple times, uh, even on this call, like, people have called me she. I know that that's, I, I know that it's hard sometimes because, for example, when I was at Slippery Rock and an undergrad student, Bonnie called me she because I wasn't out. So, like, you know, it, it's a matter of practice. And so I think that that's actually a good way to bridge that gap until you're used to using something that you're a little less familiar with, um, is to just use someone's name instead. I, I think that's perfectly acceptable. I've almost bitten my tongue off calling you Emily through this whole thing. <laughs> that's how I know. I don't, I, I mean, and I don't mind, I don't mind Emily, by the way. I, I still use that as my like professional legal name. I just like M better. So the, uh, an alternative is to use gender neutral language. And so using things like folks or everyone here in Western Pennsylvania, we use yens. 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 <laughs> if you're in the South, y'all, y'all, or all y'all when it's plural. Um, so, uh, you know, I think when, I mean, people will say, Hey guys, you know, when it's a mixture of men and women at the table, um, you know, I think, um, you know, if you have a, you know, I've seen tables of older women and, you know, the, the waiters and waitresses say, hey guys, how are you? And the women get really upset. They're like, we're not guys, we're women. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, so I, I think people just need to be really careful about their audience. And, and obviously you use the terms that people are, are comfortable with. Um, you know, it's all, it all comes down to, again, asking what people 
preferred to respect what people want to be referred to. So, um, but trying to use more gender neutral language is always your safest bet. Yeah. A any other thoughts there? Um, just really quick, uh, Phil asked the question about using someone's name in place of a pronoun and the way that he phrased the question, he said, is it okay to use their name? Because that's non-assuming, right? Like that's yep. exactly it. Um, I don't, I think it was a TV show maybe, uh, that I heard the best way to do that, right? Like if somebody is in your facility and they leave behind a jacket and it's just a plain black jacket and you pick it up and you say someone left their jacket because you don't know because you can't assume right and so i think that transitioning that to regular conversation is like a really good first step yeah i that's something i always tell people too is i think that people get really thrown off like when someone uses like uh they them pronouns because they think oh they is plural but you, most people use singular they in their speech a lot more than they all think the time, they do, the a lot more than they think <laughs> they do. I, yeah, I always use the example of someone left their shoes in here. I, I don't know why it's shoes for me. Jacket makes more sense, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say just a thought as, as from kind of wrapping up all, all that conversation, which again, thank you guys for, for sharing. Um, but, you know, something impactful I think we can we can take away and, and move forward would be maybe normalizing the use of the pronouns and and you know I I've I've seen that um you know again we, we go back to the title with your pronouns and, and that being listed in our in our signatures and 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 wherever we can to, to publicize that and I think the more we all do that which you know looking at mine I don't have that right now but doing more of that for all of us then that just becomes the norm right so I think you know again this this conversation has been really impactful for me to kind of better understand why why that is important and then realizing like hey you know if I get on board with that and then that helps everybody else get on board that's going to become the norm eventually and then these conversations about how to do this doesn't have to happen because it's just normal right so um thank you again for for sharing that guys i or guys <laughs> thank everyone for sharing that I'm, i apologize um but let's move on to our next topic um ken you discuss the difference between inclusion and tolerance i am so glad you asked that question uh this is really uh so important you know Tolerance is so 2009, you know, in 2020, we need to have moved away from tolerance and be in the world of inclusion. Inclusion is where we want to have grown to. So think of inclusion as welcoming. It is welcoming and embracing people who are different than you. We want to acknowledge and celebrate people's differences. It is celebrating people who are different from us, recognizing that diversity is a strength and it's working towards interdependence between people who are diverse. And by doing that, we um, achieve equity because power is shared and we have leveled privilege. So we have acknowledged that people are in positions of power and privilege and we've leveled it and achieved a level of equity so that we can 
celebrate our differences, embrace it, and strengthen our organizations, whether it's a college, a, a, a high school, wherever it is that we're working, we're embracing and celebrating our differences so that we can, um, we have a safe environment for everybody to work and thrive. Tolerance has become sort of a dirty word. Tolerance is not accepting. It is not welcoming. It's more of an attitude where people, where it's still maintaining that balance of power and privilege. Someone is still maintaining power and privilege. And they're essentially saying, we'll put up with another group of people or others. They're still othering people and saying, we're going to put up with something that is um, different because they really don't have a choice to. And it's more of a means to an end. They're not valuing the people who are different. They're just putting up with them. And, you know, in the pyramid of self-actualization, nobody wants to be tolerated. You know, that would be like going home to your significant other and they say to you, oh, I love you. And you say, oh, I tolerate you. <laughs> it's not going to go over very well. So, you know, we need to move away from tolerance to acceptance. If you really want safe, environment where everybody is free to be their very best and to be effective, efficient, fully engaged um, contributors to whatever environment you're in, it needs to be an inclusive environment. So those are the two really biggest differences. And, and, we, and when you hear people use words like tolerance, you know, point that out to them. Yeah. Point that out. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. That makes a lot of sense. And, and just, I mean, I know this is kind of cliche, but like think how boring our world would be if we were all the same, right? Like we should celebrate the, the differences that we do have. Um, any other thoughts on that, that topic? Um, I think something that's like a really easy example of inclusion versus tolerance is the uh, sentence of like, of course I'm willing to treat patients in the LGBTQ population and the difference of putting a safe space sticker on your door and like telling everyone all of the time that this is a safe place for you and you can come into this space and feel okay instead of just being willing to. Um, I think that those are two different things and like a really easy step for athletic trainers, like upside down pink triangle, throw it on the door. It's a sticker, it's like six bucks on Amazon or wherever you wanna get it and it helps make an inclusive environment instead of a tolerant environment. Absolutely. And like, I'm sure that, I'm sure that this is something that I'll talk a little bit more about with some of our later questions, but that's actually something that, um, so I, I, uh, at, I got my master's degree at Ohio University um, through their graduate athletic training program. And um, as my master's research while I was there, I did a qualitative study of the experiences of transgender athletes in their interactions with athletic trainers. And that was some, that was a major, um, that article should, that article is in the process of being published in JAT. It's not out yet, but it's still in copy editing mode or it's now getting typeset. But, um, but one of the major themes that I found was uh, putting up those signals of safety because a lot of people, you know, maybe those athletic trainers never said that they weren't, you know, accepting of trans people, or, I mean, you can broaden this out to LGBT people in general, but, you know, but there also weren't any signals of, 
you know, there weren't any safe zone signs or stickers in the athletic training rooms, or there weren't, you know, policies about acceptance and non-discrimination, or there weren't things like that. So there was no guarantee to those people that they would be safe and accepted. And for trans people in particular, uh, who experience a really high rate of healthcare discrimination and healthcare and adverse healthcare reactions, that can make it scary to even approach an athletic trainer with an injury. So I think that's a really important point that Heidi made. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And, and it, you know, what Bonnie was saying uh, between regarding the difference between tolerance and um, inclusion, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of, you know, when we're talking about diversity and, um, you know, people say they don't see color that's almost tolerance, right? Whereas being, that's a difference between being anti-racist and, and just tolerating. So I, that, that makes a lot of sense and is impactful, right? Like, okay, yeah, we, we would like, like um, Heidi said, you know, we, we all will treat whoever walks through our door, but that's, that's just tolerating. That's not actually providing an, a safe environment and being inclusive. So that, that, that was very valuable. Um, again, thank you all for your thoughts. So I want to, I want to circle back to, um, Heidi, you said the upside down pink triangle. Did I did I hear that correct? And that's yes. that's a generally accepted um, outward sign for um, for the inclusion for inclusive yes. uh, for an inclusive atmosphere. Yes. So um, that's something that I learned actually just a couple of years ago that that's a symbol of allyship. Um, okay. That you are supportive of um, LGBTQ populations, and so they come in various sizes. <laughs> um, but it's an upside down pink triangle. Um, I believe with a green circle around it, but I've seen just the pink triangle as well. And it's just like a really easy symbol to say, like, "I got you. You're good. You're safe here." That's cool. Um, what are? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Bonnie. The history behind the pink triangle um, actually comes from Nazi Germany. Um, the Nazis actually, um, when they rounded up the Jews, people don't, a lot of people don't realize that they also rounded up all gays and lesbians and, um, uh, you know, the um, Jews had to wear the Star of David on their sleeve, but the gays and lesbians had to wear the pink triangle oh, on their sleeve okay. as a symbol of being LGBT. Yeah, so, did not know that. So, so the gay community has taken that back. Yeah, as a symbol of pride. I was just, I was just about to say that they they took something that was meant to put them down and have embraced it to to build them up. I, I like that. I, I might actually start using that now. Awesome. Um, what other areas um, do you think we can do better, especially with uh, inclusive language and just general, um, just general athletic training? Um, day to day in our uh, in our lives? I think, um, you know, a lot of the things that we've already talked about, um, you know, using your pronouns is really important. Um, not assuming pe what people's genders are or what their expressions are. Um, I think that in another inclusive, uh, it's an act, more of an act, but it's important in terms of language is using people's chosen names. Um, you know, it, it gets a little tricky, um, I'm sure, with insurance. Uh, someone might have an insurance card or their driver's license. You, you, know, you go to check in at a doctor's office and your insurance card says one name, your driver's license says the same name, but you clearly, you're, the gender that you're presenting with 
definitely does not represent that name. So imagine then being called into, you know, by the, the med tech or whomever into the doctor's office by that name that clearly does not represent the gender that you're walking into that office with. That can be really uncomfortable for someone who's transgender. So, um, you know, if someone were to say, you know, here's my insurance card, here's my driver's license, but I prefer to go by this name and that's what they sign in with. It's just respectful to, to address them and call them by that chosen name. You know, same thing with, you know, our student athletes, you know, our patients, you know, on our intake records or our team records, however we're addressing them, we should be respectful enough to call them by their chosen name, which really get, turns into such a hot topic for people. You know, if Robert wants to go by Bob and William yeah, exactly. wants to go by Bill and, you know, uh, but Robert wants to go by Jane, <laughs> why is that such an issue for people? It's unbelievable. So, you know, just be respectful and let people go by their chosen name. Um, Emily, any other things on inclusive language? Um, I think that you touched on most of uh, most most of it. I mean, also not. I think a lot of it does come down to not making assumptions and defaulting to neutral terms if if you if you don't know. I mean, that works for sexuality too, of, you know, not assuming or asking, you know, your, your male patient, oh, do you have a girlfriend, you know, or like just asking, like, do you have a partner? Do you have a significant so, other? Yeah. Like, um, not, you know, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we kind of already touched on, I think is a really good start. And not just, like, you know, we've been referring to not just spoken, but written in our, yes. <clears throat> on our records. You know, those kinds of things are so important, you know, um, you know, on our, um, you know, before gay marriage was um, the law of the land, it would be really frustrating to me, it would say marital status, and I'd be like, well, I'm in a long term committed relationship, but, you know, I consider myself married, but I don't have a box here that I can check that accounts for me. So, you know, it would be I felt dishonest and what my response could be, you know. Um, so making sure that your your intakes are are inclusive. And when your those intakes are inclusive and open, and when someone who is in the LGBT community can fill that out right out of the gate before they've even spoken to you it indicates that this is a safe facility for me to have open conversations. And that is so important. And then the first time that they sit down with you for that evaluation or whatever, you know, they're, they're coming to a medical professional to talk about. And right out of the gate, you've asked about their pronouns or you haven't assumed their gender. You haven't made assumptions and you, had open language or gender neutral language without ever saying I'm an ally and, and I support the LGBT community. You don't have to declare that. You've just made your behavior indicate that you are a safe medical professional for them to talk to. And that speaks volumes to, to a patient. It goes so 
it goes a very, very long way because the reason that we have um, health, health disparities is because the LGBT community does not like to, to, to come out. They, they have a lot of fear. They have been oppressed, just like the black community has been oppressed by healthcare providers. So people don't go and they, they either just don't go to seek healthcare or they wait until something is too late or could have been addressed. And, and now you've got larger problems. So, you know, use open language and it, and it saves lives. Yeah. Healthcare avoidance is a really huge, a really huge theme across pretty much all healthcare professions in the literature. It's uh, especially for transgender people, but really across the spectrum of LGBT people and across the spectrum of other marginalized identities and people. It's, it's a really huge thing that people do. People, people avoid seeking healthcare because they've either had bad experiences or they have friends who've had bad experiences and they don't, and they're afraid of that. So it can, it really can save lives and make a difference. No, that's that's great. That's a good segue into into our next topic and and just talking about the the transgender athlete. Um, you know, we're all athletic trainers here. We're healthcare professionals. Um, you know, in regards to the transitioning athlete or the transgender athlete or or, or in in whole the LGBTQ plus community, what are some um, things that we should be aware of or, or things that um, we can do better as a healthcare profession to to help the this community? Read policy. <laughs> that, from, say it uh, again. Sorry, read policy um, is something that I think that most athletic, all athletic trainers should start with. NCAA has a policy. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Yep. If you are an NCAA athletic trainer and you are not aware of this policy, that's on you. <laughs> like you have to read that yeah. um, and be aware of it and compliant with it. And so I think that that's like, for me, the number one place to start. Like if you are um, brand new to this conversation um, for whatever reason, and you are just starting out um, learning, the first place to start is the thing that you are expected to do from, from your governing body, right? Like that's, you should know. Um, and then take your continuing education from there. So that's an area that I think that most athletic trainers can do work on on their own is professional development. Take some, take some courses <laughs> um, and learn about this thing um, and learn how to be a better athletic trainer. Um, but I think that the first step is to read the policies that are already in place and that you are already expected to be following. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that that's, that's really the place to start. And education is obviously also the place to start. I think that the next step that you can take after that is if you're, you know, let's say you're at an NCAA institution, but I mean, this goes for any, any setting really, but like if, you know, if you're, find out if your institution, if where you work has policies around gender inclusion, or how, you know, for example, if it's NCAA, you know, the NCAA has a guideline for how uh, trans student athletes can participate in athletics, but, you know, does your college or your, uh, your um, local conference have a policy for how those guidelines are implemented? 
you know, because there, because there's more to it than just, oh, there's, here's this. There's sometimes there's paperwork that has to be submitted or sometimes there's stuff that has to do this. And if you think about it from the perspective of the athlete, that would be very intimidating for you to have to figure all of that out because maybe the athletic director or the athletic trainers or whoever don't know. So, um, so I think, and that's something that I've actually been working on here at Lake Erie College is developing a policy for our, uh, initially, it was just our athletic department. Now it looks like it's going to include also um, both our athletic department and our equestrian center because equestrian is a big thing here on campus as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, think about including things in that policy like uh, you know, best guidelines for language use, best guidelines for you know what what are the bathroom and locker room situations like on campus are they all are they all gendered in the athletic facilities how would you deal if someone needs a separate um if you know either an away athlete or a home athlete needs a separate facility to be comfortable or safe you know um just thinking just kind of thinking through some of those structural things i think is kind of that next step of you know okay now i'm educated what can i do to be an advocate perfect yeah those, those are those are great topics. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Anything specific? I think we need to um, keep in mind that um, we need to make sure that our student athletes or our um, patients who are transgender or in the process of, of transitioning have access to healthcare professionals who know what to do with um, those patients who are transitioning. You know, one of the difficult um, problems that they face is uh, a lack of providers with an expertise in transgender medicine. So, um, you know, helping them to find those resources that, you know, they might be, um, you know, someplace where they're going through that process and they have that expert where they are, but then if they come to college, they might be far away from them. So helping them to find those um, providers with an expertise is helpful. Um, recognizing that there, there are financial barriers, they are dealing with discrimination and stigma. Um, housing, um, a large portion of our transgender um, patients are um, dealing with um, homelessness and home insecurity or housing insecurity. So on top of everything else, they've got these other issues that they might be contending with. Um, and then we, we need to recognize that there's a, a greater risk for clinical depression and anxiety and violence. Um, there's a greater risk for alcohol abuse and drug abuse in, that, in the transgender population. So knowing what our counseling services are, do we have counseling services that are also um, expertise, have an expertise in the transgender community and, and helping them find those you know, access to those individuals is important to um, working with individuals in the transgender community. Absolutely. I second that 100%. I think that finding out what what resources and what providers are available in your community and just maybe keeping a list of them so that if you have to refer somebody or, um, you know, you need to give somebody that list to help out, um, I think that's a huge step. And also just checking and seeing too, you know, are the places that we generally like regularly are referring our athletes to, are they also safe providers? Because, you know, uh, one of the big areas that trans people in the research face a lot of discrimination is in emergency departments, actually, because mm. there's sort of this, this, there's sort of this framework 
um, this theory of like that basically providers who don't see themselves as being, you know, they're not endocrinologists, they're not, you know, psychologists. So they think, well, this isn't really, you know, the thing that I'm going to be dealing with day in and day out. So I don't need to know about it. The, the, but then what happens is when people come into the ER, because everyone comes into the ER at some point, basically, then they don't know how to treat a trans person and they don't know how to deal with those situations. And it can lead to some very bad situations and some outright harassment, outright discrimination, outright refusal of care even. So I think understanding, you know, what are the places around us, you know, that because we send athletes to the ER frequently as athletic trainers. Yeah. We refer them to orthopedic surgeons. We refer them to other people a lot. So are those people that we're referring them to safe? You know, what are the best, what are the safest facilities for LGBT people in the area? You know, I, I think just keeping that in the back of your mind too is also a really good step. Yeah, that, that's that's really helpful. Um, I'm I'm curious. Do you have any thoughts on you know that like the emergency room thing, like the orthopedic, right? We we want to do some research and find the one that's best for for that athlete. Um, but in an emergency situation, we're, we're limited, right? Like I'm I'm gonna if I have to send an yeah. athlete to the emergency room, like they're gonna go to the emergency room. Any thoughts on what we you know is there? Are, are there things that we could do to prep the emergency room before we send them over? Are there anything like any thoughts on that? Does that make sense? As a question. Yeah, that does. Okay. Um, and I think that there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, I think that might be a, I mean, it, I know that it's awkward and it's tough, but part of the good thing about, you know, for instance, putting gender identity options and pronouns and things like that in your intake forms, like in your physical forms, is it could start this conversation of if you have a trans or gender nonconforming athlete, maybe you have the conversation before an emergency happens of, hey, if if we're ever in a situation where an emergency happens and we have to communicate with other personnel, what things do you or do you not want me to say? What yeah. things do you or do you not want me to communicate about your medical history, about your about your pronouns, about your name, about your legal gender markers, anything, anything like that? How would you like to handle that situation? I think having a plan in place first Yep. as almost part of your emergency plan might not be a bad idea. Um, I think the second thing is, um, you know, we're not, unfortunately, we're not always there. We can't always, you know, go to the ER with our athletes. We can't always do stuff like that. But I think in the situations where we can, like where you do end up either, either going with someone or interacting with just EMS on the scene, I think being prepared to basically be an advocate on behalf of your athlete is important. Um, you know, if, if you see, if you hear other medical professionals misgendering someone, correct them, you know, or correct them on their name, correct them, you know, on terminology, stuff like that, I think can go a long way too. Awesome. Yeah. That's super helpful. Thank you so much. And we'll probably talk about resources at the end, but there are two, um, actually, there will be three. Um, one of the things that we're doing in the state of Pennsylvania is creating a clearinghouse of um, safe uh, um, resources, um, physician and other healthcare um, resources that are safe for the LGBTQ uh, community. Um, there's an organization, um, glma.org. It's the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association. So glma.org, you can go there to find a provider uh, who is LGBT safe. And then uh, wpath.org, I forget what that stands for, 
but um, it's another organization that will help you to find um, a safe provider. There are um, a lot of resources. Yeah. Um, you know, as I mentioned uh, in the last uh, podcast that we did, in 2020, with all of our resources that are out there, there's no excuse to not be able to find what you need. And there are so many resources that are available, especially for the LGBTQ community. Uh, I will uh, tweet these out. I will put these out on the Pat's uh, Twitter account, but campuspride.org, uh, campuspride.org. They have uh, the safe space training. So campuspride.org by itself is a great um, organization for college students, but they also are the organization that does safe space training. And the NATA um, uh, LGBTQ plus um, advisory committee is, us is using that as their platform for safe space training. So the, um, uh, the advisory committee has done the safe space training at the NATA convention and they have started doing them at regional conferences. So um, absolutely go and be safe space trained. You get, um, when you complete it, you get a placard that you can put on your door or you can put on the, on your facility door that um, it doesn't train you in, in um, counseling LGBTQ people. It just helps you to, to be um, aware that when someone comes to you and they come out to you, you know what to do. Um, you know how to help people find resources. Um, so that um, information is available there. You, in fact, you can do the safe space training um, through campuspride.org. Um, I am actually trained in safe zone training. I'm a, a safe zone uh, trainer. Uh, that's what uh, we were supposed to do at Pat's conference last summer, um, and uh, hopefully we'll be doing it again um, at the upcoming uh, Pat's convention in whatever format. Say, I'll, I'll do my best to get you in, Bonnie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, hopefully we'll get to do it this year, and, and if we don't get to do it in person, um, hopefully we're going to be able to tweak it in the way that we can so that we can do it online, but um, it's a very uh, a similar uh, training program. Um, one of the very best resources out there is hrc.org, um, hrc.org, um, Human Rights Campaign. They have um, probably one of the best nationwide um, resources uh, in the country. PFLAG, another great resource. Um, if you're looking for information for um, the trans community, trans equality, .org is another great one, transequality.org. And as I mentioned, the glma.org um, is a really good resource for, for trying to find um, providers, healthcare providers, and wpath.org. And then uh, our um, NATA LGBTQ plus um, uh, advisory committee has been around for a couple of years. It now and they're really doing great work. Uh, they uh, have a great social media presence. Follow them on Twitter under um, uh, the Twitter handle at LGBTQNATA. I for I try to forward out as much stuff on the the Pat's uh, Twitter handle as I can, um, but you can certainly follow them yourself. But you know, really great information. 
Um, and I believe it is the November NATA news that there's a, a, the cultural competency um, special edition is, is out. Um, and there's a lot of really great um, publications coming out. Um, you know, M has a, uh, her work is gonna be coming out. There. Uh, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley Crossway is our District 2 representative to the um, LGBTQ plus um, advisory committee. If you just go in and find Ashley Crossway's work, a lot of great publications under her name. Uh, so get in there and, and uh, take a look at the, the information that the NATA and, and our membership is, is producing a lot of great research. Yeah, yeah it sounds like there, there's plenty of resources out there. You just got to go out and find them and, and take advantage of them. Um, any, any other thoughts before we wrap up? All right. Well, I appreciate everyone's time today. This has been another really, really helpful and impactful show for me um, personally, as always, like I said, I'm, I'm very selfish in that regard and take advantage of, of having these conversations with experts. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, you know, if anybody has any other questions for you guys, do you mind um, for everyone? Do you guys, I can't stop saying that. <laughs> can you, can you share Yins. Uh, yeah, yeah. Y'all, can y'all can y'all share your email if, if somebody wants to reach out to you? I can go in my West Virginian accent here. I grew up in West Virginia. Um, awesome. I can. Uh, yeah, my email is Munson Emily One, like my name M U N S O N E M I L Y number one at gmail.com If anyone wants to reach out to me with questions, that's totally fine. I also have. A, I actually have a research Twitter at LGBTAT study on Twitter. That's another one where you can reach me and just follow any updates happening for, you know, my research that I've done, but also future research and other stuff. Awesome. Nice. I can be reached uh, at my email, which is bonnie.cycle, just uh, spelled like my name, bonnie.cycle at sru.edu. And then Mercedes has the, uh, the Pat's, uh, uh, email inclusivity at gmail.com gmail.com okay all right well i just want to thank everyone again for for being on the show and thank you to our viewers for listening today um until next time i'm adam richmond and i'm philip hensler and this was the pats podcast awesome thanks everybody thank you guys so much. thank you I, I, thank, thank you all so much